We'd say that there's a lot of people on that road, and there's probably a whole lot that are ahead of them, and chances are there's probably a whole lot more people behind them too, right? All right. I got another picture I want to show you. What do you see about this road? Oh, it's a narrow road. What else do you see on it? It's, it's pretty empty. Okay? You know, we don't see all the people ahead of it. We don't see all the people behind it. It's not near as busy as that road, is it? It's kind of narrower, though. Not a lot going Doesn't seem like a lot going on there, does it? Oh, you think it's a peaceful road? Okay. All right. It's kind of quiet. Okay. Now, can anybody think of a scripture that these roads would illustrate? Ah, huh. The Bible talks about two roads, right? It says there's two different roads. Why don't you take your Bibles with me quickly? Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking here, okay? Jesus is talking, and he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and what does it say? Many enter through it. Okay, so there's one road, it's broad, it's busy, it's leading in one direction, and there's a lot of people, it says many, everybody say many, many Many enter it, okay, where's that road headed towards? It's headed towards destruction. The next verse, but small is the gate and narrow the way that leads to life and only a... Only a few find it. Wow. Who said this? Those of you who have Bibles with red letters, who said it? Jesus said that there's two roads. One of them's real broad, and there's a lot of people on it. There's another road. It's real narrow. And he says, Jesus says, I didn't say Jesus said. He said, there's only a few there be that find it. One of these roads leads to life, and one of these roads lead to destruction. destruction. So where do you think he's talking about? What's he talking about? The ultimate end, the ultimate destination is where? Heaven or hell. I know this week, I'm sure this week, that I need to talk to somebody about hell. First of all, because God put it heavily upon my heart. I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what I was going to say. Let me preface it with this. I'm speaking today to the church. Predominantly, the majority of you who are here are here week after week. The majority of you who are here have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I'm speaking specifically and directly to you about hell. Now, Pastor, we're going to say, well, why would you do that? Why would you talk to us about hell? As I said, I didn't know exactly what I was going to say. Then on Thursday, I got home. It just kind of was a confirmation to me. I didn't really use much of it. But when I got home, our mailbox had blew open. And notice, remember, it was raining this week. And my mail was strewn down the road. Now, Harley, if you find any envelopes, Harley lives down the street. If you find any envelopes with cash in it, it's probably mine. I get home and, 
and there's nothing in the mailbox, and there's this magazine from the Assemblies of God they send out to ministers. And the feature article was entitled this, Why Hell Matters. It was waterlogged, but I read through it anyhow. I know that talking about hell makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable. First of all, it's not a popular subject, and it's definitely not in vogue. In fact, many people would say, if you want to grow a church, you can't be talking about hell. People won't want to come if you talk about that, and I disagree. I think if we talk about hell, that it will stir the hearts of the people who do know Jesus to do something about hell. Now, as a pastor, there's a a temptation to somehow soften the reality of judgment, of eternal torment and hell. But the Bible doesn't do that. And if we're going to preach the whole counsel of God's word, then we need to talk about hell. We need to talk about eternity. We need to talk about God's judgment. Jesus never shied away from talking about hell. In fact, he talked about it more than anybody else in the Bible did. We like the gentle Jesus. We like singing, gentle shepherd, come and lead us. We like the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. A lot of people like the effeminate Jesus. You know the one I'm talking about? He's kind of like a combination of Fabio, but a little skinnier. His hair's long, and he doesn't say anything. He just looks at you with piercing eyes. It's like kind of like a sissy, watered-down Jesus. He's not really dominant. You know, he's kind of like a, like I say, he's kind of like an effeminate Jesus. Watering down to take away the power and the strength that he has. He, he never addresses sin. He never addresses things that are wrong. We forget about the Jesus that Revelation talks about. We want Jesus holding a little lamb and, you know, kind of like patting your head every time. You know, you do whatever you want and he just kind of looks at you like, <laughs> like sad eyes, like puppy dog eyes. We've forgotten about the fire that's in his eyes. In Revelations chapter 19, he's not that guy holding a little lamb. Revelation 19 reveals him as faithful and true. He's the rider of a white horse. He's wearing a robe, but it's a robe that's been dipped in blood. There's fire coming from his eyes. He has many crowns on his head, and he's leading the armies of heaven. The Bible says that there's a sharp sword that proceeds from his mouth, and with it he strikes down the nations. On his robe and on his thigh are not written effeminate Jesus, but on his robe and on his thigh are written the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now we need to talk about hell. Pastor, why do we need to talk about it? Because hell is a reality. It's real. According to scripture, hell is a place of punishment. It's a place of punishment. It's a place of wrath, of everlasting destruction, and of separation from God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 5 says this, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just 
and he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Listen to what it says. He will punish, everybody say punish. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to him. Now, first of all, did you hear what the word says? This is not against the church. The blood of Jesus has been shed upon the cross. You have been forgiven of your sins. Your feet are planted upon the rock, Christ Jesus. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you are following him, you don't have to worry about the wrath that's being poured out because the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus, and he paid the price for your sin. So we're not trying to scare the devil out of you. The devil's already been cast out of you. The enemy has been defeated in your life and in mine. But it talks about hell, and it's a place of eternal punishment. It's a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a place where the fire is not quenched. The fire will never go out. Hell is a place of utter hopelessness. And total separation from the presence of God in all that is good. There will be nothing that is good, no redeeming qualities in hell. In this world when someone is suffering, and many of you have seen, and I have seen that before. We've seen people who are sick and who are suffering or who are in pain. And there comes a point where we eventually say, God, would you please take their life? Because we believe that in death, they'll at least have some kind of peace. I've told you all the stories that I have. My uncle, a car wrecked in front of one of his stations in Breezewood. The car caught on fire. There's a man inside of this car. And as the fire's burning up, they're trying to get him out. They can't get to him. And the man begs the police officer to shoot him because of the pain. We watched on 9-11. As people jumped out of the windows. Why? Because they thought, there's no way I'm going to survive this jump. But at least it will end the pain and the suffering that I'm experiencing. Well, in hell, there will be no end. There's no hope ever, 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 ever of relief. There will never be any relief in hell. There's no hope that there will be a better day tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I'll feel better. All hope is gone. We need to talk about hell because God cares about where people spend eternity. The scripture teaches us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a place of repentance. Hell was not intended for mankind. Man was created to have an intimate relationship and fellowship with God. But then sin entered the world and man rebelled against God. Even when that happened... God came up with a plan whereby man could be restored to God. There at the very beginning, he didn't wait for six months or six years or or, or 6,000 years. Genesis 3.15, God comes up with a plan. And he says to Satan, he said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. 
and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. There was the suffering and the pain that Jesus would experience. And this week as we prepare for Easter and remember the horrible abuse and the beatings and the whippings and the crucifixion that Jesus willingly adored to pay for the sins of the whole world. Friends, listen to me. The sin of the whole world, all of the world, the most depraved actions that you could possibly imagine, the sin of the whole world has already been paid. Jesus doesn't have to die again upon the cross for some murderous person to be saved. Their sins have already been paid for. Already, Jesus paid the price for all of mankind to be forgiven. But man has to accept. He has to accept that offer of forgiveness and salvation. Man has to choose to receive God's gift of eternal life. They can reject it and remain enemies of God. They can rebel and and despise him and reject his grace and his sacrifice. Well, we need also to talk about hell because according to Jesus, this is not according to the latest poll. This is not some research group. And, you know, it kind of depends on who they survey. According to Jesus, Jesus said that many people are headed there. Did you see, could you pull that picture up there one more time? Some of you remember in the 80s. A song. Now, don't act like you don't know it. All I'd have to do is hit those first couple chords. I'm on a what? Look, I'm seeing, uh, uh, I see some rockers there. The Van Note. What, what was that song? Trish? Highway to Hell. Highway to Hell. Someone's going to start singing it and banging their head. And some of you guys who have your hair cut short, you used to have your hair long and singing about you're on a highway to hell. Well, the reality of it is, is that there's, according to scripture, what does the Bible say? The road to destruction. How many is on that? Many. many. And the road to eternal life, how many is on that? Few. So what would we say? If we would say that the majority, many and few, the majority of people, according to Jesus, are headed where? Jesus clearly teaches. The majority of people, the majority of humanity, are headed on a highway straight to hell. They're indifferent. You know, remember, no speed limits, no stop signs. I don't know the rest of it. Nobody's going to slow them down, I think they say. I'm preaching to the church. I believe that many of you, many of you have received the message of the gospel. You've repented of your sins. You've received the gift of salvation. Salvation from what? Salvation from your sin. Salvation from yourself. Salvation from judgment. Ultimately, salvation from eternity separated from God. Salvation, you've been saved from hell. You're on your way to heaven. So why am I talking to you? Well, what about all those people? who are on the broad road. You're going to be a miserable Christian if all you do is get on the highway to heaven and try to keep yourself on that road. You're going to to be losing your focus. God did something. He saved us for a greater purpose than just to try to keep ourselves 
Keep it between the lines. You know what I mean? He's firmly established us upon the rock Christ Jesus. Our salvation. When we put our faith in him, Jesus has paid the price for sin. I know where I'm going. I promise you. I know where I'm headed. I know where I'm going. Nothing's going to distract me from going there. Okay? My prayer for you, I believe that's for you. You've accepted Jesus, but there's something more than just accepting him for yourself. What about all those others? Where are they headed? And what are they headed to? Can I say this to you? The vast majority of Christians today do not believe in hell. I'm not telling you that because of a survey. Some people will say, well, do you believe in exercise? Well, yes, I believe in exercise. Well, how often do you do it? Well, At least January 1st and 2nd. <laughs> By the 3rd, I'm kind of tired of it. But at least January 1st and 2nd. Can I tell you, you really don't believe in exercise. Do you believe in saving for retirement? Well, yes, yes. Well, what are you saving? Well, I haven't got quite started yet. Well, no, then you don't believe in it. Don't wait till you're 63 and start saving for retirement. You need to start now. You need to start while you're young. If, if that's the desire of your heart, you need to make preparation now. So many people will tell me, and they, they would say in a, in a room like this, they would say, Pastor, I do believe in hell. I do believe that there's a heaven. I do believe that there's a hell. I believe it. I don't think that most people do, and I'll tell you the reason why. Because if we believed that there was truly a hell, most of us would not be able to sleep at night. You wouldn't be able to sleep. You got that backslidden son. And if you realized you got that backslidden daughter, you got that niece, you got that brother or that sister who's far from God. You got that husband, you got that wife, you got those neighbors, your parents who don't want anything to do with God. You would not be able to sleep at night if you really believed that they are this far from entering into eternity where the fire is not quenched. When we look at scripture, remember Lazarus and the rich man. The Bible says that he opened up, he died and he opened up his eyes and he was in torment. Would you just touch the tip of your finger in water and touch my tongue? Just dip your finger in a little bit of water and touch my tongue that I might get some relief. Would you tell my brothers about this? Because I don't want them to come to this horrible, terrible place. If we really believed that there was a heaven and a hell, I'm going to tell you what, you'd be fasting and praying until your son and daughter got saved. You wouldn't be saying, well, they get to make their own choice. If you do that, you're an idiot. Your kids don't get to make their own choice. As long as your mom and dad, you're going to pray, you're going to fast, you're going to believe, you're going to preach to them, you're going to talk to them, you're going to set an example for them. If you really believe that there's a heaven and a hell, It would change the way that you live. It should change the way that you talk. It would change the way that you act. I was at a funeral the other week of a young man who who died of a drug overdose. Throughout his life, he had rejected Jesus. And the family didn't have much of a background of a relationship with God. But the family said these things, and they said, well, he's finally at peace. And something in my spirit just like welled up. And I knew that was a stinking lie. He's not at peace. He's finally getting to experience a little bit of torment. He thought this life was torment. 
He thought it was hard here. Friend, he opened up his eyes and he was in hell. If you enter into eternity without Jesus Christ being the Lord and Savior of your life, you spend eternity forever separated from God. There's never an end to the suffering. There's never an end to the pain. There's never an end of, can I do it over? Can I get one more chance? There's no more chances after that moment. As a pastor, I've said it many times because I don't want to face the reality. Someone will die and I'll say to the person, well, the thief on the cross in his last minute called out to the Lord and Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, That's true. But I'm going to tell you the honest truth of it is. Most people in the last minute of their life, if they've rejected him when he's called to them, day after day, week after week, month after month, if their natural response is to say no to him, why would their response be any different in that moment before they pass out from a drug overdose? Why would their response be any different whenever they're driving down the highway and black out from a drunk stupor before they hit the telephone pole or the bridge? Why would their response be any more different in that moment than what it was when they're in their normal mind. The thought, you know, 50, at least 50% of the guys on the cross went to hell. One did. We, I believe that God can save you in the last minute. But I'm going to tell you, the vast majority of people, if they've rejected him all of their lives, are not going to have some kind of, as a pastor, I never want to say that someone's family member, that their friend is in hell. But can, can we just be honest for a minute? Some guys, you know, it's almost like a guy jumping out of an airplane with a backpack on. You know what I mean? Well, maybe it'll turn into a parachute. Well, there might be, on occasion, someone may accidentally put a parachute where your backpack's supposed to be. But I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't depend on it. And so the reality of it is, is that the vast majority of people around us, listen to me. If they've not accepted Jesus, here's the the reality of it is, is they are on a one-way, they have a one-way ticket straight to hell. Now, people say, well, how could God do that? He's not doing it. He's providing Jesus. He's providing a way out. He paid the price for all of their sin. No matter how difficult or horrible their sin would be, he's paid the price for their sin. But my concern as the church is that we've lost the reality of hell. We, we look at our kids, we look at our neighbors, and we think, well, it's just a phase. Well, if they die in that phase, my friend, they're eternally lost. I don't think we can afford that. I wouldn't bet on that. You know, there's some bets that you can't afford to lose on. There's some wagers that you can't, you absolutely can't afford to lose on that. And this is one of those bets, one of those wagers that you absolutely cannot afford to lose. Right before I came here, 93, 94, I'm sitting at a family in our churches in Baltimore. Uh, We're sitting out at their picnic table in the side yard. It's during the summer, having a drink of tea. And all of a sudden, there was an explosion in front of the house. And you, you ever, like when something explodes and you're like, wow, what was that? You know, you jump up. I jump up, and at that, about that time, 
two cars come to, a car and a truck come together and hit each other. And we thought, well, it was a car wreck. But the truck keeps going. The truck turns into the parking lot beside these people's house. Like, just it's right there, right, right where we're at. You know, in, in, in suburban areas, you don't have big yards, you know. I mean, it was right there, and it was a parking lot beside their house. And, and the truck turned in there, and you're still trying to figure out what's going on. You stand up, and look, and, and here comes this truck. Well, this guy's leaving. He, they had a wreck, and he's trying to run. And he stomps on this. It's a high, you know, like a four-wheel drive, high pickup truck. He stomps on it, comes flying up this drive thing towards us, and he yells. He yells, I couldn't, you know, when things happen really, really fast, and you doesn't register in your head, he yelled something to the effect of, call 911, he's got a gun. And that didn't register with me. You know, I'm like, what's going on? And it's like, I'm here. I have to do it the way I'm looking. I'm here. Sam's the guy in the truck. And Dorothea is the guy getting out of his car. And this guy hops out of his car and he has a pistol grip shotgun. So I saw it off like it was a 12 gauge pistol grip shotgun. He hops out of there and he pumps the shell out. That's all I needed to see. <laughs> that's, all, that's absolutely all I needed to see. Whenever he did that, these two people with me, and at the time I thought they were old. You know how we think of people as being old. They were like in their early 50s. They're in their early 50s. And when I see this guy getting out, I grabbed a hold of him and I rammed him. I mean, like I wasn't worried about how they felt, their opinion of what we're going to do. I wasn't worried about how, you know, if I push too hard. I got behind them, and I rammed them into the house. But we had to go towards the guy with the gun. You know what I mean? I rammed them through. We, I just grabbed them and pushed them, just started running. I said, get in the house, get in the house. We got in the house. The phone's hanging right there. I, st- I grabbed the phone. I started calling 911. And if you ever call 911 in a moment like that, they think completely different than we do. 911, what's your emergency? He's got a gun. He just shot at somebody. They're wanting a description. His hair color, his eye color, you know. I'm like, he's the guy out in the middle of the road with a shotgun. Just send the police. Well, you know, and they're asking all of these questions about the color of his car. His car's stuck in the middle of the road. And so as I'm there, we get in the house, we shut the door, and I'm talking to 911, watching out the window, watching what this guy's going to do. I think we may have just shut the screen door. Like, the screen door is really going to help us. You know, but we feel safer because the screen door's there. And I'm, I'm watching this guy and I'm talking and, I'm, and they're, they're wanting, to, like I said, they want to know his, what he looks like, how tall he is, the, the, the make, the year, the model of the car. I'm like, he's, got a, he's out here with a gun. We're safe. We're safe in there. But about that minute, this guy's he's piddling around because his front tire, when, whenever they hit each other, his front tire went into a culvert. And it kind of knocked the tire off the rim. So he had a flat tire. So he had gotten into his car and tried to back out. But his tire's flat. The guy in the, in the big pickup truck, he had gone around. He'd gone into the parking lot, gone down back through the parking lot, down over a bank, up another bank. Good thing he had a four-wheel drive. Onto another parking lot. He was gone. And here's this guy out here with a shotgun. And people start coming around. We're right in the middle of a neighborhood. 
Everyone's thinking this is a car accident. And people start coming around. And when they did, this is what I did. Get away! Get out! Get! 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 Move back! Move! Don't go there! He's going to go! Go! What did you say? Go! Go! He's got a gun! Stay away! My voice was squealing just like that. I didn't care. I didn't care if I offended them. I didn't care. I didn't care if they didn't like what I said. I saw people walking up to a car with a guy with a shotgun in it. He had just shot at somebody else. Cars were pulling up and they would stop. And I'm screaming, ah, hey, get away, get away. And they'd sit there for a second and look. And all of a sudden they'd squeal out. Urgh. Long story short, he turned the gun. And uh, the lady I was with, she said, oh my gosh. He just shot himself. Now, I promise you, I wasn't any further from here to the back of the church because there was, it was a, they had a, their door. They had steps going down, a little sidewalk, three parking spaces, a little bank, and then the guy's right there. I'm probably no further than the front of the church to the back. A 12-gauge shotgun goes off, and I don't even hear it. I never heard it. The blood was pumping so hard in my ears, I couldn't hear anything. Like, that's a crazy, some of you who've been around something like that, it was like, I heard the first one, that shot, I never heard it go off. I walked down to the car, I was the first one down to the car, when she said that, I went down to the car and he slumped over. I thought his head was steaming. It was the, the gun going off, was wisping up, smoke was wisping up from the top of his head. In that instant that man entered into eternity now what did i do the first thing i was concerned about was for the people who were my responsibility like some people what what will you do in a difficult time i know what i do because i know what i did those type of situations the people who are your responsibility who are the closest to you you take care of them moms and dads you got some people you're responsible to. You got some people who are depending on you. You know, I never had a bad dream. You know, like people will see bad stuff and scary stuff. Never woke up at night, never had a bad dream. You know why I didn't? Because I did what I was supposed to in the moment. I did the right thing in that moment. I didn't have to have a bad dream about it. I, I did the right thing. Here's the reality. We need to look out for In that moment, that guy could have taken those people's lives. He was bent on killing somebody. He was determined someone was going to die that day. Because he couldn't get the other guy, it was him. But we need to be looking out for the people who are close to us. When we talk about hell, I want to say this to you. If you got a son, if you got a daughter, if you have a neighbor, if you have a family member, a niece or a nephew, they're your responsibility before the Lord. It's your responsibility. Don't stand by. God's not pleased with cowardly people. He will not be pleased. When we stand before him and we say, well, I didn't want to offend them. Who cares? If heaven is real and hell is real, then someone being offended, it doesn't really matter. I'm not saying purposely go out and be rude and offensive to people. But if people's lives are in danger of hell, 
the first thing area that we're concerned about is we need to be concerned about those people within our household that we are, have authority over. Moms and dads, start now. Your kids are a little poor into them, the love of Jesus. It's better caught than taught, the reality. If you love him, so many times it's passed on to your kids. So there's that part. And then there's other people out there who you may not even know, but you're responsible to. You're definitely responsible to your family. Sam, that circle of influence goes further. You have a responsibility to your daughter and to your sisters and and to your cousins. Then that that area goes further to the guys who work for you. And it goes to our neighbors. That we have a responsibility before God that here's the reality, according to Scripture. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but many of them are dying and entering into eternity without Jesus Christ. And if they keep on the road where they're going, it leads to ultimate destruction. There'd be no hope. How can we as God's people keep our mouths shut? How can we not scream? How can we not yell? How do we go to bed? What would it have been like if I just moved to the side and drank my tea and said, hey, yeah, there's, there's one down. God, it didn't get me. If I'd have gone downstairs and locked the door and sat in the basement. That's not what God calls us to do. He's given us a message of reconciliation. And his desire is that through our voices, through our lives, through our testimony, why do we need to talk about hell? Here's our final point. We need to talk about hell because of the one. I might not be able to save everybody. I might not be able to reach everybody. There may be many people who will reject the message. But what about the one who hears it? What if we can just reach one person? What if we can rescue one soul from hell? Can I tell you the reality of it is? If you're active doing what God says, you're going to be reaching a whole lot more than that. I promise you, when you get to heaven, you're going to walk into a room. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. When you get to heaven, you're going to walk into a room and there's going to be people there gathered in that room. They're going to be saying, now, welcoming Eddie. And he'll walk into a room and there'll be men and women there who've accepted Jesus because of Eddie's words, because of his testimony, because of the example that he set. Some of us will have bigger rooms than others. I don't want to go to heaven and have nobody there waiting to greet me. I believe with all my heart, God intends for each of us. That needs to be our passion. The greatest thing, my dad always taught us that. The greatest thing I want for you is I want you to make heaven. I don't care about anything else. I want you to be in heaven. Now, here's the reality. If people die and they have all kinds of degrees on their wall, if people die and they're the state champion of, or they're the world champion of, or they have all of these resources and and this big business that they built, when they die, does any of it matter? Will any of it take away the pain of hell? The Lord said to to the rich man, You had your pleasures on earth. Lazarus suffered, but you had your pleasures. Now he's honored and you're in torment. God's heart is not that anyone should perish. So while I'm secure, while I'm safe, I still have a responsibility 
but here's what has to happen. God has to change our hearts so we actually believe that his word is true. We have to believe that, you know what? When we go to the funerals and, well, they're at peace now. No, they're not. I don't care what preacher says it. I don't care what they say. If they die without Jesus, they're in utter torment. And it will never, ever stop. I want you to think about your family, about your friends, about your kids. Moms and dads, it causes us to live different. It causes us to prioritize different. And here's the reality. Surely on that road, there's one. There's one person who I can warn. Surely on that road, surely there's a family that I can touch. Surely there's someone who we can rescue. Surely our life will matter for something greater than just, well, I'm saved. And I go to church on Sunday morning. The idea of us being his witnesses really comes down to realizing that when people die without Jesus, there's absolutely no hope. There's no hope. Utter destruction. But right now, we can make a difference. When they're gone, you, can't, you don't change it. You can't give the idea you can give an offering in their name, say a prayer. No, no, it's done. It's sealed, it's settled, boom. But until then, you and I can make a difference in the life of one. Would you stand with me here in this room? This is primarily addressed to the church. If you were honest, I don't want everybody looking around, but I want to just ask you a question. If you were honest, how many of you would say, Pastor, I'm not really serious. I'm, I'm asking you to be honest. I'm not really serious about my friends and family who are lost. I want you to be honest. How many of you would, would honestly say, Pastor, it doesn't move me. At least it moved me enough to do anything. I think, can I be honest with you? I think in a lot of churches, in a lot of places, that's the reality of life. The reality of life is that we're busy doing what we do. And as long as things are going okay for me, if someone wants to hear about it, I might tell them once in a while, but I'm not warning anybody. Can I just tell you this? God's not pleased with that. He's not pleased. The fearful, the cowardly, he doesn't delight in them. My prayer is this for us as a church and for us as individuals is that God would begin to change our hearts so that we start to really, truly believe that what we're doing makes a difference for eternity. We need to really believe that when I tell someone about the Lord, it may change their entire destiny and the destiny of their family. It may save their very soul from eternity in hell separated from God. And this idea that everybody goes to heaven is utter baloney. I said a prayer 37 years ago and never had any fruit. No, 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 it doesn't, no, 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 no. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So the belief that that, the belief that everybody goes to heaven, that that the vast majority of people in their last second, when they've rejected God for years, and now they believe upon him, that's baloney. It's not reality. Those people enter into hell without Jesus. What I want to pray for you as a church is this. Maybe you would say, Pastor, I need God to put a passion in my heart for souls. I want him to change the way I think. I want him to 
change the way I view life. I want to have souls be the priority in my life. If, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand for that because we're going to pray. Because you're telling the Lord, Lord, I want you to change my focus. Now, also in a place like this, after a message like this, I would be amiss if I did not give an opportunity for those of you who you know, you know in your heart that your life isn't right with God. Maybe God brought you here today to change your destiny. Would you bow your heads with me? For those of you who are here today and you just say, Pastor, I don't have the passion for souls. I need God to put a burning passion in my heart for people who are lost. I need my eyes to be opened. I need something to change in my heart so that I have a greater burden, that I'm willing to do something to reach people with the gospel. If that's you, will you just raise your hand? Because God's going to give you that. God's going to give you that. All right. Anyone else? Thank you. All right. I'm going to pray over you. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm asking today that you would open up our eyes and let us see the reality of heaven and hell. Show us the truth, Lord, that your word says that many of the people who we look at day after day, if Jesus would come or if they leave this life, Lord, they will not be entering into rest. They'll be entering into eternal torment because they are far away from you. They're enemies of the cross. They've rejected the offer and invitation. Many don't even know. I've never had a, a truly clear portrayal of the gospel and what Jesus did. So we ask you, Father, that you would change the church's heart, change our thinking, change our DNA, change the way that we face and look at this world and give us a passion, we pray, Lord, for people who are lost. Lord, cause us to scream and yell and warn and beg and whatever the, the moment requires. Cause us to present the gospel to people who are lost and reach out to them. And then today, as I said, there's probably some people in a room like this who you just know that you're not right with God. You know that if Jesus came, you're not sure. Well, you're pretty sure of where you would go. You know that you're not right with God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want to know for sure where I'm going to spend eternity. I want to know that my sins have been forgiven and I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. Can I get you to raise your hand? I'm going to pray with you. All right, thank you. Someone else takes courage. Someone else will wait just a moment. We're going to pray with our friend today. The Bible says when one man or woman gives her life to Jesus, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says that we're moved from death to life. Uh, I'd like you as a congregation to pray with me, and we're going to pray it out loud, all of us. Lord Jesus, Jesus, I confess to you today today that I'm a sinner. sinner. I've broken your laws. I I believe that Jesus died upon the cross, cross. and that he rose from the dead. That he paid the price for my sins. Today I confess my sins to you. I believe in my heart 
that God raised Jesus from the dead. I make you Lord of my life. I surrender myself to you. Take me and work in me as you see fit. I'll live for you and serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to say this. When you prayed that prayer, something that was dead is now brought to life. Old things, according to the scripture, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The Bible says that, that we're born again of the Spirit. So here's the reality. You can't do the things you used to do because you're not that same person anymore. They don't feel good anymore. They don't feel right anymore. Why? Because Christ has come and he lives inside of you. The cool thing today, I'm preaching to you. Just that message, two people today have given their life to Jesus. But but I'm going to tell you what the Lord's saying. The Lord's saying, if my people, you, will take it out to the streets where people are, where you work, where you live, where you play ball, where you take your walks. If you'll take the gospel out there and simply share the simple message that Jesus died upon the cross and paid the price for your sins and you can have peace with God, that he did it for you. It's a free gift if you simply receive it. If you'll take that out, can I tell you, we will have multiplied more than that every week. God told me that. I'm promising you. If Eddie will simply take the gospel to where he works, people will be getting saved on a regular basis. If you'll take the gospel where you go, you and can I tell you what? That's when it starts getting fun. That's when it's, I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing like seeing someone who gives their life to Jesus and see Jesus transform and renew their lives. God's empowered you. He's given you what you needed. You already have it. Don't spend a whole lot more time praying about it. You've prayed long enough. Can I tell you that? Don't think you've got to convince Jesus to do it. He's ready to do it. He's already paid the price. What he's asking for you is that you'll simply step out and start telling people about how good he is, about how faithful he is. Can I make you, I make you a promise. If you will start stepping out and telling them, you start telling that family member. It's one thing to live for them, but sometimes we got to speak up and tell them. Sometimes we got to shove some of them, like those people. They, they were kind of heading in that direction. They just needed my big old shoulder behind them, pushing them. Sometimes that's what people need. They need a little push. And where are they headed? They're headed towards taking off of that track and headed towards pleasing the Lord and living for him. God bless you guys. We love you. We pray that you have a great day in the Lord. Amen.